understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. The resistance. You're listening to the Oh Hell Yeah Show. Hosted by TJ Hale. We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. It's a trap. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. It's time for the Oh Hell Yeah Show. I've got my distinguished guest, Mr. A.W.R. Hawkins, who's forgotten more about firearms, gun control, and the Second Amendment than any of you will ever know. Mr. Hawkins, it's an honor to have you. How are you? I'm doing great, TJ. Great to be with you. So you're taking this mobile office meme to the extreme, aren't you? I mean, I understand uh, I'm being a man of leisure, but what, what's going on here? I'm a little jealous. Well, I don't know if I call it a man of leisure. I mean, uh, I'm in San Diego with my wife, but she's out with friends that came with us, and they're playing volleyball right now. And I'm typing articles on guns. I'm sitting here in the uh, mobile office that looks a lot like an F-150, talking to you, uh, which I'm thrilled to do. And so, you know, a lot of times I just work from wherever we are. So I might be in a great location like San Diego, but it doesn't really mean I'm lying on the beach or taking it easy. Uh, I usually work wherever I am because uh, the left is continually fighting our rights. And so I'm continually fighting back. Okay, so a couple of things I want people to know who maybe are not familiar with you or have maybe read a little bit and just want to learn more. One, this is going to be a conversation about guns, the right to own guns, and gun control. And the main reason for that is because people who don't follow the news very closely or not knowledgeable about the Constitution hear bad things about guns 95% of the time, which means they don't hear the good things about 10,000% of the time, which is uh, what you are very knowledgeable in. Number two is you did the Breitbart meetups, and ours was here in Phoenix recently, a lot of fun. I know many people wanted to go but couldn't, so I figured you would bring, we could bring the Breitbart meetup to them and kind of recreate that form. Sound good? All right. Sounds great. Sounds right. great. Um, first thing, a little bit of background about you. There's all these great writers I follow online. I'm always curious kind of how you got into it, how you got into the Breitbart family, how that kind of comes together. Like you're working from wherever you want. Most people are thinking while they're sitting at work reading Breitbart, I'd give anything to be AWR, to watch my wife play volleyball through the window of my mobile office. So how did you get here? <laughs> well, you get you get here, first of all, well, I'm not going to say anything negative. It's not. It's it's just a lot of work. But you get here. I did a master's in. Uh, I did a bachelor's in history. I did a bachelor master's in U.S. history. Then I did a Ph.D. in military history. My Ph.D. is focused on the Vietnam War, the U.S. Navy since inception, the Civil War, and the War of 1812. And in doing these things, the whole time I thought I would be a college professor. This sounds like it's going to be a long answer. It's going to be a short answer. I was I was cut off by people who despised me for supporting the military. They despised me for loving Ronald Reagan. They despised me for making comments uh, that uh, were were pro-American exceptionalism in class. And uh, long and short of it, they told me that no letters of recommendation, no help with job placement, no uh, no allowance to be a instructor while I was getting my PhD. Almost anyone who gets a PhD gets to teach while they're getting it. Uh, that was denied me. And uh, what I ended up doing, my wife said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to beat them. And uh, so I just start publishing and publishing. I found one professor who believed in me, one. And uh, he believed he believed fully. And he came up behind me one day and he said, look, Hawkins, you stick with me and I'll get you through this. And I started publishing, and when I graduated, I had a number of publications. I did teach at some small schools. 
uh, uh, JUCOs and others. And then I had an opportunity to begin writing uh, first, I think the first group I wrote for was American Thinker, then Human Events. And then uh, through a, radio, a contact I made with a widely known radio personality who contacted me out of the blue to praise some writing I had done. And a gentleman named Donald Rumsfeld who reached out to me for writing favorably about enhanced interrogation techniques. Through the connections I made with them, I was able to get a one chance to write for Breitbart. And uh, that one chance wasn't even in an area that I enjoyed writing on, but you know, you do everything you do with all your heart. And I did it as hard as I could, the best I could. That was in June, 2010. And I haven't looked back and it's been wonderful. I love Breitbart, love the company. And it's an honor for me to be associated with them. When did Andrew pass away? Oh, now you've got me. I believe it was March 2012. It may have been March 2013, but don't quote me on either of those. It was a couple, of, believe, was a couple of years after you started writing for him. Right, right. Yeah, my, 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 my last contact with him was about a month before he, he died. I was on the Dennis Miller show, and he was guest hosting. I didn't even know that. And when they introduced the host, they're, they're like, and substituting today for Dennis is Andrew Breitbart. We had an on-air conversation I'll never forget because he started assigning me work on air. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know what, this is, this is a nationally syndicated, you know, this show's going out to who knows how many people. Here he is telling me what he wants me to write. But it was just classic Andrew. He's all, he was always at it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure one of the listeners are thinking, wow, the guy's tasking out, giving out tasks, mm-hmm. playing Taskmaster while you're on the radio with them. Good times. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a regret, maybe something I wish I could turn back the clock. And I've never had any interaction with Andrew. I wish he was still around today, but uh, he, he was something else, man. Just from what I've read and what I've watched those movies, I've read his books, and uh, the guy never quit. Right, right. That's exactly right. Never quit. And he had, he had, a, he had just a, I know this is a cliche. And it sounds cheap, but he just had a fire in his belly. And he had a fire that we need We need to recover. And I honestly believe, I don't just say this because I'm associated with Breitbart. I honestly believe there are a number of people at Breitbart who have that same fire. And I believe that that's good for our movement. And when I say movement, of course, I don't mean political party movement. I mean uh, grassroots conservatism, real American, uh, a real zeal for America and founding principles. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's interesting. And I know that because of what's been going on at we're not going to get into the whole, uh, the, I don't know if you want to call it the division inside of the right wing politics. And then Drudge and Breitbart are kind of at the center of it. But I want to get your feedback more on that grassroots conservative movement, specifically the Breitbart meetups, the We Are Breitbart. You know, when I saw this, I thought it's a great idea. Someone needs to be doing it. Who better than Breitbart? So tell me kind of what the, what the long game is here on Breitbart's end with these meetups. Well, the, the, the idea is really to excite people to be involved. That's really the, the end game. Of course, we want to be a facilitator in that we, um, we help set these meetings up. But, you know, we just did one in Denver, I think it was last week. Golly, it was phenomenal. And uh, we were at Chopper Sports Grill over off of Madison, which is off of Colorado Street. And it was a wonderful time. We packed that place out and uh, it we, what we do, I think we're doing about 43 of them. And again, you can't quote me on that specific number or you don't hold me to it is what I should say. Okay. But in what they do is they pick in certain areas, what topic would be most popular guns, the border taxes, uh, foreign policy. 
and they pick the writer that covers that topic. So out of those 43, I think I do six or seven and Denver was one of them. Phoenix was one of them. But, uh, so I go up there and I talk a little bit about the second amendment. I talk about what's happening at state levels that is pro gun that simply drowns out gun control. I mean, gun control is, it's minutia compared to what's happening as far as gun rights go. And then I do questions and answers. I think we did, uh, we had a question and answer session in Denver that lasted probably an hour, maybe a little longer. It was wonderful. Ah. And, uh, but that's what we do. And then, and then the people are excited. They come up afterwards and they go, what can we do? What can we do? And of course, I don't have the answers to those questions, but what I could say is, well, I, here's what we can all do together. We can pressure our senators. We can pressure our representatives. We can talk to our neighbors. We can talk to our coworkers. We can be sure people understand the truth about the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, so on and so forth. I'm a little sad, a little jealous that you guys got the one-hour Q&A because, as you and I both know, the Phoenix uh, the Phoenix meeting had a couple hiccups, and it didn't last as long as it probably should have. So Right, well, right. Let's do a redo. When, you, when are we having a, a mulligan, a, a do-over? I know, I know they're going to plan it. I'm not in charge of planning, but uh, I know they're going to plan another one. Um, and you might have to send Milo down. I know a couple of those Ron Paul guys looked a little sad when you showed up. I think they thought <laughs> that you were Milo, so yeah. – uh, you didn't want to talk about any of the Gamergate, the the, the Trump Gate, anything like that. So yeah, he he he's a fireball. There's no doubt about that. Yes, he, he is for sure. I caught his new podcast. I thought it was pretty good. And of course, his sidekick is British. So you can't yeah. do anything. And I've always joked that you can't do anything in the USA anymore that involves your voice or a TV camera without having a British accent. So that right. that excludes most of us. We'll stick to writing. Right. So you went straight from PhD to writing professionally. Right. Well. Yeah, but I, I wrote some when I was I wrote some when I was getting my PhD. But that that writing was almost all in uh, history publications, you know, uh, Civil War times, Vietnam magazine, so on and so forth. But yeah, I went. I did a jump. I taught and wrote for a while, and that just simply didn't work because they were trapping me in lower echelon jobs where I could only teach the undergraduates, which are usually the positions given to people with a master's, and uh, they wouldn't let me bounce up to teach uh, graduate level courses and different things. So I just had to do something. I felt trapped, and it, uh, I'm not bitter, though, and I think you can hear my voice. I'm not bitter. It all, it all worked out just as it should to drive me where I needed to be. So I don't look back I don't look back on the worst things said to me by a professor with any bitterness. It all served the purpose of getting me where I need to be. But I always try to tell people I had no idea where I was going to end up, none. And because I'll talk to people who are in college or who are doing whatever, and they're like, I just don't see where this is going. I'm like, here's where it's going. It's going to every open door you can step through. Be sure you step through them. And that's just what you have to do, you know, and that's what I did. If you're not bitter, you're not ungrateful, if you're not angry and out for revenge, you're going to make a terrible social justice warrior, AWR. We've got to get you properly trained. Oh, I'm, trust me. Now, I'm bitter when it comes to Harry Reid, uh, the Clinton family, and different things like that. I'm bitter when it comes to people who want to take my freedom away, take yours away, when they want to take the tax, when they want to take the money that you work for by going to school. Uh, I'm bitter over those things, but I just don't, I don't hold a grudge at the people who tried to stop me because they unwittingly helped me get right where I need to be. Let's talk about the message of taking freedoms away. I think when the gun control conversation comes up, it's so polarized that people don't realize that the, at the root of that is a is an argument between whether or not you're going to be free or you're going to trade that for security. 
And I think gun control kind of embodies that as much as any other argument. So you had some excellent stories and insights into what's really going on at the base level in gun control. And as an outside observer, what I see is that they're relentless. They never give up. They take it in waves, kind of like you're planning the Breitbart meetups in order to keep people engaged. They plan it in terms of like I surf, right? So you've got swells and every now and then a big wave comes along and they try to push it as far as they can. So gun control, we saw a lot of that a few years ago. Now they're kind of backing off and I'm just sitting here waiting. When are we going to see it again? Are they just waiting for the next mass shooting? Are they waiting for the next? Well, the, yeah, they're waiting for anything. But, you know, gun control uh, for all intents and purposes is dead on the federal level. It's been dead since uh, it's been dead since the 2014 midterms. It was seriously ill prior to that, but it, it was absolutely dead after that. Uh, now, the only opportunity we have for more gun control at the federal level is if Obama pushes another executive action. He doesn't really have the power to do that. He has he's basically absolutely exhausted everything. Uh, but it's you know, since when has a law stopped a leftist? So I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him try. But what we have, TJ, is at the state level. We have a complete reversal. Just yesterday, I had a piece up, and it went. It's still going gangbusters. Idaho just became the ninth state in the union to do away with any requirement for a permit in order to carry open or concealed a handgun. You know that means now we have uh, uh, Alaska, Arizona, Kansas, Maine, Montana, uh, Vermont, Wyoming, uh, West Virginia, and Idaho. In in any of those states, you carry open or concealed without a permit. Their theory is the Second Amendment is sufficient. That should be the theory of the nation, and slowly it's growing that way. That's wonderful news. You won't hear Gabby Giffords talk about that, of course. You won't hear Mark Kelly talk about that or, or Mike Bloomberg, but I don't really care what they talk about anyway because they don't say anything worth hearing. Well, that's unfortunate because my next question was about Gabby Giffords. So I don't know if you want to talk about her, but I live in Arizona. You live in Arizona. We understand that she – and. It's unfortunate when you get some lunatic, because I know a lot of people own guns. I'm not a big gun guy. I know that you obviously are the expert here, but I know one friend who's got an arsenal in his house, and he's the most responsible, level-headed, experienced, capable gun owner that I know. And you can't turn a doorknob in his house without seeing a gun. So that's who I think of when I hear Gabby run her mouth about how dangerous it is to allow people to have unfettered access to right. guns. Right. Well, let's let's talk a little truth about Gabby, which I try to stress all the time. She has just started a new gun control group in Virginia. She started a new group in uh, California about three weeks ago. She keeps changing the names of these groups so that you don't know who they're aligned with. Here's the here's the dirty truth. Your listeners need to think about that. I try to get my readers to think about her first goal in Virginia is to push for more background checks. Now, everyone listen to this. Gabby Gifford's shooter her attacker passed a background check it didn't stop him uh i mean i could ruin this show by just starting to list mass shooters who passed background checks you know the mass shooter i'm going to list a few the mass shooter in uh, san bernardino's uh san bernardino excuse me they passed background checks for their handguns uh, the mass shooter in santa barbara that was elliot roger passed a background check for his handguns the mass shooter everybody loves to talk about at the aurora movie theater in colorado passed a background check for his handguns at the dc navy yard passed a background check for his handyard handguns both uh, ford hood shooters background check for their handguns i could keep going until it is the Virginia Tech shooter who killed 32, background check for his handguns, he passed it. I mean, I could keep going. It is harder to name 
a mass shooter who hasn't passed a background check than it is to list one who did. The only two I can think of in the last 15 years who didn't go through a background check are the Sandy Hook gunman, Adam Lanza, and the Clackamas Mall shooter, uh, uh, Jacob Roberts. And here's why they didn't go through a background check, because they stole their weapons. So the bottom line is this, mass shooters don't avoid background checks. This is all smoke and mirrors. Mass shooters just go through background checks. Background checks, this is, and I speak as if I'm speaking to ignorant people, and I don't aim to sound that way. I'm just speaking rudimentary. Background checks only detect criminal history. They can't predict a criminal action. So if I'm a latent criminal, if I have a desire to carry out a crime, but I have no criminal history, a background check will never stop me. That's why they're foolish. What a background check ultimately does is it lets the government create a paper trail so they know where every gun is. They never stop criminals. They never stop determined criminals, I should say. And history proves that. Yeah, and that brings up to mind two things. One is that if I'm a leftist, that's my argument against uh, background checks alone. Obviously, we need to do more. They always need to do more, right? We got to push it further. And background checks is the medium or the vessel by which they take the next action. That's my initial thought. The yeah. second one is, in the case of the young lady, the nice, the beautiful young girl who got shot, the reporter, and you'll remember her name. I can't off the top yeah. of my head. Allison Parker. Allison Parker, her shooter passed a background check as well. Did he not? Right. right. Yes. Yeah, so and, and he was a total point. mental case cat lover. So. Right. Yeah, total mental case, but see, he didn't have a he didn't have a record that showed him to be involuntarily committed and he didn't have a criminal record. So see, what we have to understand, this sound, what I'm gonna say sounds callous to say it so close to the mention of her name, but I'm not talking about her. I hate what happened to that girl. I hate how her father must have felt. I hate how she was treated by that animal who shot her. I hate that and I mean it. But what we have to understand is what our founders understood. Freedom is risky. It's just risky. It's risky for you to have the freedom to say what you wanna to say to me. It's risky for me to have the freedom to say what I want to say to you. It's risky for me to have the freedom to keep and bear arms. It's risky for you to have that freedom to keep and bear And I say that it carries a degree of risk because we trust the individual to be responsible and live as a free human instead of saying we'll give up all our freedom and live under the tyranny of a government that overreaches to such a degree that we can't make a single decision without its help. The world our founders envisioned was one where people were born to be free and not only born to be free, but capable to be free. And that's why I, I love Ronald Reagan so much. You, you need to think back, your listeners do, you think back to Ronald Reagan and one thing he emphasized over and over again when we were fighting communism and he promised we're going to beat communism, we're going to beat communism. People go, what are we going to do then? And he goes, people could be trusted to be free. We can trust free people with their freedom. I know it's redundant, but that's the world our founders envisioned. There will always be someone who abuses that freedom. But the way you stop them is not by taking guns from law-abiding citizens. The way you stop them is make sure law-abiding citizens have guns. So when the fruitcake tries to kill the reporter on air, somebody can take him out. That's just how you do it. And I want to talk about what, that with you, too. But from a religious perspective, and I know in our day and age, there's no use for Christianity in a civilized world. But with my beliefs, I believe that we were sent here to choose freedom, right? We chose freedom before we got here. And it, the core of every argument for me is, do, does it make us more free 
or less free. And so right. I always laugh when I hear someone like Harry Reid or Hillary Clinton get up there, someone who's ambitious enough to make it to the very top echelon of the political world, I mean, world power at their fingertips, and then turns around and their message to you is, AWR, you can't do it without someone else's help. I can, but right. you can't. So, you know, you should get on government assistance. You should make sure people have access to guns. You can't really be trusted with anything except for with my assistance. And to me, right. that's the that's how I define evil. But that's just my right. worldview. Well, no, wait, your worldview is right, though, because look, look at cities. Look at cities where your worldview, not your worldview, the, the worldview you described. Look at cities where it's implemented where government assistance, welfare, free this, free that if you vote for us, you don't need this, just trust us, we'll take care of you. Look at cities where that kind of worldview is implemented. Tell me what they have in common. Baltimore, St. Louis, New York City, uh, Chicago, um, Philadelphia, Milwaukee. If you look at these cities, what they have in common is a gun crime rate that is absolutely through the roof. And it's because the only people that have guns are the people that are getting them on the black market that aren't scared of breaking the law because they're criminal by nature. And what what degree of self-dependence they once had has been destroyed by a government that says, trust me, I'll send you a check. And it's just socialism crushes the spirit of the human. And we, we I'm with you on that. Freedom is so central. But what I always come back to, and this is just me, but it's what I come back to, a central tenet of freedom is the ability for me to protect my central property, which is my own life. And as Justice Sam Alito said, the key to doing that is the Second Amendment's protection of self-defense. And the key to exercising self-defense is the firearm that I keep in my truck, that I keep by my bed, that I keep in my home. And that firearm's not used for anything unlawful, but it is used to be sure my key property, my life, and my wife's key property, her life, are protected. That's how our founders intended it. And that is, that's freedom in action. You had some excellent anecdotes and stories when you came to Phoenix. And I think in terms of those cities, I've got a friend that I debate with. He's more on the leftist side, but uh, he's open-minded. So I'll talk to him and he'll say, you know, England's gun crime, you know, where America has gun crime higher than anybody else. England's gun crime since they have abandoned this silly gun laws and same with Australia. We can't compete with that. That's what we ought to be doing. And so I mentioned if you take out some of the major cities where there's gun control and the gun con crime is out of sight, the you know, flyover country, the gun crime and homicide rate is about as low as anywhere in the civilized world. Right. Help clarify that for me. Tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong. No, you are right. The way they get the gun crime stats up are that that they uh, they make sure and they lump in all the Democrat-controlled cities. That's the best way to say it. A uh, city like Chicago, you know, Chicago, uh, I believe by February, yeah, I, I believe by February 23rd of this year, they had a 100% increase in shootings over the same time period last year. So think about it. January 1 to February 23rd, a 100% increase uh, over the number of shootings that happened the same time in 2015. They have all this, but they have a, a gun violence tax that raises the price of firearms. They have a limitation on where uh, uh, gun stores can be located and, only, and on the number that can exist. They, do every, they have an assault weapons ban. They have a ban on handguns that is as close to a 100% pure ban as they could legally put in place. They do all of this to keep law-abiding citizens unarmed, but the gangs the, the, the street criminals, they all have guns and they always will. And so everyone is at their mercy. 
And so when they do the numbers for our country, as you're talking about for gun crime, when they just when they lump in Chicago by itself with everything else, it distorts. And then you lump in New York City, which is doing its best to catch up with Chicago because Bloomberg's gun control destroyed that city. And then they lump in Baltimore, which is an absolute disaster. I mean, it's just gun crime. Guns are blazing in Baltimore for the same reasons as Chicago. And that's, remember O'Malley, O'Malley, when he was still trying to run for president, he couldn't get more than 3% of the support, but he was bragging about his gun control. His gun control, there are bodies stacking up in the street because of his gun control. So yeah, if you were to take those out, if you were to take those out and look at, uh, you know, a state, just pick one, Kansas, uh, uh, Oklahoma, any of those states that you would call flyover, yeah, you call flyover, uh, the numbers, the numbers, would drop dramatically uh, as far as gun crime goes. And you look at Arizona, think about what you just point out, TJ. Phoenix is a fairly large town. You look at a city like Phoenix, look at other large towns. Compare gun crime when you get a chance. The difference is in Phoenix, if a criminal pulls a gun, and it does happen, if a criminal pulls a gun in Phoenix, odds are not that he'll get shot, but that he may get shot by more than one person. And so that, that's in the back of their mind. It forces them to hesitate before they act. In Chicago, if they pull the gun, they know they're attacking someone who's defenseless. And that, it, 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 it drives them to do it. It encourages them to commit crime. So, you know, all, almost all of flyover country is the same. In, in Oklahoma, if you pull a gun, you're in trouble. And uh, that's how it should be. I saw, so I was at Walmart the other day in Chandler, and I saw two people. I don't think it's the, maybe it's the first time I noticed. I saw two people open carrying nines, right. 45s, whatever it was, in, in one visit to the store. And I thought back to friends I have that move here from the East Coast, or they visit during the wintertime and the snowbirds, and they go, this is the Wild West. I can't believe it. Yet, when I interview people like Colin Flaherty and you and some other ones I've had that are specialists in crime and who commits crimes, it will all say things like, well, what about Phoenix? It's like, actually, Phoenix doesn't really have that problem. You know, Phoenix right. isn't really on the radar for that. Phoenix is actually kind of an exception, and that's, but they don't connect the dots. Right, right, they don't. But, you know, that's just, that's just how it is. You know, if you look, I'm trying to think, you, I write every day, I, I pass over far more self-defense stories than I write. But, you know, people, I actually hear people on the left talk about how they'll literally say that uh, good guys don't really use guns to stop bad guys. Every day I pass over a litany of stories of good guys stopping bad guys with guns. I, I just pass over the, the, the majority to find the two or three that are most catchy. I've already written two today. Uh, in one instance today, a mother in Chicago, 88 years old, she was saved by her son when he heard someone coming through an apart, her apartment window. He shot the intruder as he was coming in. And the mother, the mother responded by saying, look, my husband was killed in 1962 uh, via a home invasion. I've always kept a gun at my side since then. I'm happy to see that my son does. And, but if the son hadn't been there, what would have happened? Could they have snuck up on the woman before she woke up? Another one I wrote just this weekend in Dallas, a 61-year-old was bum-rushed by two intruders. She woke up at the last minute, opened fire. She was able to shoot one, but she emptied her gun before she could kill the other. And she said he could hear it clicking, so he knew I was out of bullets. And he beat her severely, but she survived. And the police caught both, that apprehended them, arrested them, charged and so on. And when they talk to her when it's over, what does she say? 
She said, thank God I had a gun. Thank God I had a gun to stop them. And they said, well, what are you going to do now? She said, well, I'm going to get a security system so that I can hear them, you know, before they get right up on me. But I'm also going to get another gun. Bigger clip. Yeah. We get and one so of those unlawful clips that holds more than seven bullets. That's how you do things. I mean, you know, it's every day. Uh, everyone everyone who's who can hear this show should do a Google search for Florida State criminal, criminologist, excuse me, Gary Kleck, K-L-E-C-K. He has been doing research on defensive gun uses, that's DGUs, since 1993. He estimates on the low end, 2082 defensive gun uses. 2082, you're wanting to hear what I'm going to say next, a day. A day. I'm Googling that, right now, but I, I don't see that number here. That's un unreal. It's unbelievable. Well, his, his number is 760,000 a year. If you divide it by 35, it's 2,068 a, or 2,082 a day. And uh, he, he hadn't been refuted yet. And that's what he'll say. People will mock him. He's a scholar. He, I'm not even sure he owns a gun. That's the glory of him. He's a true scholar. And when people mock him and say these numbers are unbelievable, he'll go, well, then use empirical evidence and disprove me. And no one can do it. Uh, that sounds like so, work. I mean, it's incredible. You know, the one thing you mentioned earlier is about these uh, old ladies, especially who protect themselves with guns. But in her instance, she had already lived through that horror. And this is what I like the most. People like you who basically you said you're not bitter, but you got slighted in college. You saw that and you asked that question like, what is going on here? How is this right? And anyone politically like Breitbart, who's been to the other side and then comes over, who says, look, I've been there, done that, not interested, or David Horowitz or yeah. a multitude of stories. I think what they'll talk about is the lack of empathy. When someone like in Texas, that guy who shot people at his neighbor's house because they were breaking in and then they were going to put they were going to try him. They're going to put him behind bars. A lot of these concealed carry guys will teach you how to deal with the police so you don't get you don't get prosecuted. And uh, I always just think, wait a minute, why, why do we load sympathy up on the, vict on the victims of these crimes in favor of the perpetrators? Why is it always the guy who uses the gun to protect himself that's under scrutiny? Right. Well, I'm going to tell you uh, two things. A, your observation's right. B, that is changing. Well, that's my experience. The laws are, in this country, the laws, and thank God for this, since 1987, there's been a shift. First, in favor of concealed carry, uh, that began in 87 when Florida redid their laws and went from may issue to shall issue. And that's a technical differentiation that means if you apply, they basically have to give you a concealed carry unless you have criminal background. In a may issue situation, it lets the sheriff go, you know what, I don't think you need a gun. Well, that's not constitutional. We slowly began to defeat that from the mid 80s, that swept the country. That began to change things. Then you had Castle Doctrine. Castle Doctrine is a huge shift because that means if I use a gun and it it is justifiable, justifiable, if it's a self-defense purpose, I can't face any civil ramifications, none. Even if I were to sever the assailant's spine and he's in a wheelchair the rest of his life sucking dinner out of a straw, under Castle Doctrine laws, he gave up his rights the moment he tried to take my right to life. That's how things should be framed. And we have those kind of laws that have swept the country and they're making changes. There's still a little bias like you're talking about that the left tries to cling to. And they try to, they almost try to, of course, this is a very leftist thing to say. They try to intimidate and bully gun owners. Okay, you've got the gun, but don't use it. 
Don't use it. We're watching you. Be sure it's a lawful use. And it pressures the gun owner to no end. So you're right. And I say anywhere in the country where it's still the norm to criticize the defender instead of the perpetrator, we need to change laws there. We need to do what we've done. If you pay attention in 2010 and 2014, our successes were huge. We have taken back state legislatures across the country. We are rolling back leftist laws as far as they deal with guns. West Virginia and Idaho are the first two states this year who have done away with any permit requirement. We've already talked about that, but they've both done this this year. We have laws changing at the state level. We need to keep doing that. Uh, People don't need to be gun happy. I have a gun that I hope I never have to shoot anybody with, but I also have a gun that I want to be able to say, like my father said, you know what? It was better to it was better to have that gun and not need it than need it and not have it. I love the comfort of having it with me and knowing if my wife and I are cornered, I can keep her safe, I can keep me safe. That's what our founders intended. What about when the crazy gun nut isn't who it's supposed to be, isn't who the media portrays it as? Like you wrote an article recently about a Nebraska senator who happens to be black who said something to the effect of, if I were white, I'd mow everybody down. I mean, if that was uh, Ted Cruz who said that, we'd be his political career would end. Right. If, if if Ted Cruz said that, his staff would walk out. He'd have to clean his own office out. I mean, you're exactly <laughs> right. Now, Cruz would never say that. I True. know you know that, and I know that. I would just want to be sure we say that. But yeah, you're right. There's a duplicity here. Uh, it's a hypocrisy here. The black senator said exactly what you said. That if I were white. Uh, that he would mow everyone down. He said he would use a semi-automatic weapon to do it. So there was no doubt. He left no doubt as to what he meant. But, you know, we're going to see this play out again, TJ. Just yesterday, there was a man who, and I'm using this word because I I have to, there was a man who allegedly drew a gun at the U.S. Capitol Center, and he was shot by Capitol Police. And uh, people are going crazy, you know. He was reported by one outlet that I won't mention because they were candid, but he was reported as a, um, a Tea Party member and all these things. Turns out we see a picture of him. He was a black man from Antioch, Tennessee. I believe he was in his late 60s. So we're going to have to see how the media deals with that. It, it goes to your point. What happens when the gunman doesn't fit the uh, media stereotype? You know, We see that anytime a Muslim carries out a shooting. When a Muslim carries out a oh, shooting— oh, oh, M-word. We use the M-word here. We don't say— Oh, sorry. M-word. Uh, N-word. Anytime a— uh, uh, well, do you use the I word? Yeah, we use a lot of letters. We don't use full words. So Okay. And can I say Islamist? Yes. Anytime yes. an Islamist does this, you know what I'm saying? It's just uh, the media does their best to bend over backwards and protect them because their favorite shooter, their favorite shooter is a dude that doesn't have all his teeth. He lives in a trailer and he flies a Confederate flag. Now, if they can find that kind of shooter, if he can go on a tangent maybe today or tomorrow, they'll be happy as cats. That's just what they love. But in the real world, it doesn't work that way. In the real world, leftists and people who support uh, Democrats, uh, they like to do a lot of shooting. Yeah, no, if he didn't star in Deliverance, then he's got to be a Tea Partier until proven right, innocent. Right, right. And uh, hopefully no one's paying attention to the news a couple of days later when they retract it. Now, yeah, and the, the other thing you mentioned, you had some really good stories, not just about, I think it was Kentucky, who uh, is just about ready to pass their own. Uh, they're retracting some gun control laws, but you had some right. stories that you said warmed your heart. And these are the ones that are my absolute favorite because they don't get reported. There was one where someone, anytime it's a mother whose husband's at work protecting her baby 
Anytime it's someone who gets chased into a house, there was one where the phone call was on 911 and the husband's telling her to shoot oh, yeah. him. Give us that's, a couple give us a couple feel good warm campfire stories, AWR. Well, that's a that's a Logansville, Georgia story. Uh that happened in January 2013. A woman was home with her two twins. Someone starts knocking on her door, but it's not a normal knock. It's it's a I'm kicking in the door kind of sound. And she um she grabs her twins, grabs a cell phone, calls her husband. This guy's trying to get in. What should I do? Husband tells her to run upstairs, get in the eave. And those of you that are familiar with country homes, an eave is similar to an attic. But instead of being above the top floor, it is to the side of it. It's where the roof comes down uh, on the edge of the, on the side. So you're actually getting behind the wall of a room. But, uh, she goes up there and she gets into the eve with her kids. She's still on the phone. Now the guy has chased all the way up the steps. He's in the house. He's kicking in the door to get into the eve. And she asks her husband, what should I do? What should I do? And the part of this story that I love to leave out till now is she also has a 38 special revolver with her. That's what warms my heart. And so the, the animal kicks in her door and her husband goes, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. Pow, pow, pow. On the audio of it, you can hear her. She cracks all five rounds. She hits him. I don't know how he lives because she hits him with five rounds. He runs downstairs. He gets in his car and he makes it all the way across the road before he passes out and they find him in the ditch. But, uh, you know, what I like to say in that story without getting gory or giving details, just think about it. What happens to that mother if she doesn't have a gun? What happens to those two kids that were with her if she doesn't have a gun? See, the left doesn't care what happens to that woman. That's what teased me off. Uh, and you asked me a while ago about not hating, regretting, whatever. That's what I hate. I hate that her life means nothing to the left. Uh, and that's why we fight for her to have that gun. I'll tell you a more recent one that's just as good that just happened a few days ago. And I covered in Indianapolis. And before you do, wasn't the real miracle here that a mom got twins, a gun and a cell phone up the stairs that fast? <laughs> like moms can do anything, can't they? How many hands has she got? I mean, they can, you know, again, see the left, the left would assume uh, mom's demand action would assume she's not capable of using that gun. They would want to get the gun out of the house, but she is capable of using that gun. Uh, you know, re, uh, in uh, Indianapolis, Indianapolis, that's right. You got me sidetracked. It was wonderful, though. Sorry. Uh, uh, the mom was at home just a few days ago, heard the guy breaking in through the window of her baby's room. She grabs her gun. She's running back toward the breaking glass. Again, there's a mom. She's not running away. She's running toward the sound. Right when she gets to the room, he steps out and opens fire on her. Fortunately, he misses. She starts shooting, hits him multiple times. And uh, the police come. They get him. Now, you think about this. You won't have to use your imagination too much to know what would have happened to her if she hadn't had a gun. He had a pocket full of zip ties and a walkie-talkie so he could call his buddies when he had her tied up. They were probably just going to play games, right? That's it. They were just going to play games. Yeah. Now, see, if you tell that story to someone like Senator Dianne Feinstein, Senator Harry Reid, Senator Chuck Schumer. Champions well, for women, I might add. Champions for women. What they would say to you in response is, well, odds are he would take that gun out of her hand and use it against her if she'd had one. Well, sorry, here's reality. She did have one. He shot and missed her. She shot and hit him multiple times, saved the day. Not only was she not wounded, her baby was not wounded. That guy may or may not live. Who cares? I don't care. It warms my heart to think about the fact that he came in there with animal intentions and he had to be carted out on a gurney. It makes me so happy. 
Here's what else makes me happy. I published a picture of the house and on the front of the house, a cast iron sign is hanging. The, the signs that welders bend the uh, rebar into letters and the sign says, we don't dial 911. And the sign was there. The dude missed the sign because he went in the back of the house. I keep thinking, if, Here's he had your only sign. Gone, if he had only gone through the front door, he would have stopped. He'd have gone, wait, this is the wrong house. But he didn't do it. So, hey, that's that. Yeah, you know, and if I was told by a wise man early in my life that you can choose your choices but not your consequences. And right. uh, ultimately, you get what you you don't get what you deserve. You get what you get. Right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one more real quick. I Please. know what, what time's of the essence, but there's a woman in Nashville. I love this story because it's a younger woman, and she's, uh, I believe she was 23, living in an apartment. This was just last week, and I believe it was Thursday. But, uh, no, excuse me, it would have been two weeks ago. But anyway, she's in Nashville. She hears someone knocking at her door, looks out the peephole, doesn't recognize him. Whoever her father is or mother, one of her parents really raised her right, and you're going to understand when I finish this. She knocks, she hears the knocking. She doesn't know who it is. She can tell he's trying to get through the door. She runs to her bedroom to secure herself in her closet. On the way through, she grabs her 357 Magnum. Any, any of you listening who are gun owners know that is more than a formidable round. It's one of the greatest rounds ever. She is in the closet. She can hear him. The door gets kicked in. He's going room to room searching for her. Now you think about the fear she must have felt. When he flings the closet door open and finds her, what's he get? He gets a bullet. And uh, the police caught him. He fled the scene, but the police caught him when he went to the uh, hospital to get treatment for being shot. And again, that warms my heart because that woman emerges with her dignity intact, you know. And there's more, there's more to dignity than just being alive, although that, that's a huge part of it. But it's also being treated like a human. Something I said, TJ, when you were at the meetup, and something I say at every meetup is this, and this is a paraphrase of Thomas Jefferson, but any of you who take time to read Thomas Jefferson at length will come away understanding. Thomas Jefferson supported gun rights because Thomas Jefferson believed that humans have an, an intrinsic dignity that has to be protected. And if you take away their right to keep and bear arms, you take away their ability to defend that dignity. And that's why each of these stories I tell and write about, I'm serious when I say it, it sounds uh, tongue-in-cheek or cliché-ish. It really does warm my heart because I'm like, you know what? The animal was carted out. The woman still has her dignity. The animal was carted out. That World War II vet I wrote about in uh, Antioch, California, who was so feeble, it didn't even look like he could walk, he still has his dignity. He still has his medals on the wall that he can look at and remember his war buddies because he had a 45 by his couch and he was able to defend his life. This is how Thomas Jefferson envisioned America working. We can never let this go. It's bigger than Democrat Republican, although only the GOP is defending uh, gun rights. So I always side with them on this issue. But this is an issue that is as purely American as an issue can get. And when we talk about defending freedom and defending our country, defending the Second Amendment has to be uh, has to be paramount. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and you asked what do I think happens in several instances. I know it was hypothetical, but it's what we don't talk about, and they don't get a lot of sympathy for this either. When someone comes in, and if they don't kill them, they usually get Bill Clinton before they leave that house, right? Oh yeah, right. They get violated, right? And uh, yeah, just not empathy for the wrong crowd. So I right. told. And unless you unless you've been involved in law enforcement or talked to them. 
which we're not doing here, but you know, these women are saved from a tremendous amount of ugliness that is beyond what I believe most people can imagine. Agreed. That's all I'll say. Agreed. It's all I'll say. Which is why I use the, the name of our good friend. No, you're Bill. exactly right. Um, there was a, this is kind of off topic, but I just noticed the other day, there's a conservative, quote unquote, conservative blogger who has a site called Shark Tank, which obviously, you know, my other podcast is Shark Tank. So I heard of him a long time ago. He just got arrested for trying to kill someone. And the thing, his name is Javier Manjares, and he's from Florida. And he looks very much like a Javier Manjares. The reason I bring it up is with guns, oftentimes the confusion, like um, you could say like nationalities of criminals and other things that can be fudged when they're reported. This guy's police report, it wasn't reported in the story that I saw. It was strictly focused on what he did. He was listed as white. And so I know that they've taken aims to make sure that crime statistics fit in a bubble, especially in certain places. What do you have to, how do they declare nationality when they do a police report? Because this goes down as attempted murder by a white guy who looks full on Hispanic and his name is Javier Manjares. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they're doing that because they're twisting. You'll remember when George Zimmerman shot uh, Trayvon Martin. Yeah, he's another white Hispanic. This is an up, this is an emerging group of criminals we got to look into. They're doing it to expand that I believe... I'm almost giving you opinion here, which I try not to do, and that's what I'm being careful about, but I almost have to. It's all I can go on right here. They're trying to expand the number of crimes committed by whites, I believe, to because the number of crimes committed in reality by blacks and, and certain other groups, as far as the proportion of the population they represent, the crime they commit is so great. They're trying to spread the love a little bit by recategorization. It's not, it's not accurate. And it, it doesn't it doesn't really help anybody, and it hurts people. But uh, I don't understand their goal. They they began to do this with Form 4473, which is a background check form for guns. Anyone who has bought a gun at a retailer recently will understand what I mean. It used to be, are you Hispanic? Are you black? Are you white? Whatever. Now there are so many categories of race for you to pick, and a lot of them are simply ways to funnel you into being white, and. Uh, that what that does is they can continue to enlarge the representation of whites in things that they're trying to paint negatively. And, um, I look at it as the the inverse of what Facebook does. Facebook has 20 designations now for gender because they want to dissolve the amount of people that either, uh, the use the established genders. It's kind of that working backwards, right? Right, right. Yeah. But they're trying They're what they're trying to do though is eliminate See, if they can reduce the number of crimes committed by a certain, uh, a certain race, if they can reduce on paper the number of crimes, then they can argue for early prison release in certain states. They can argue for a, a better representation of prisoners. Uh, you know, you, you really do have people who run for office on the argument that uh, too many people in one race are in prison. They don't gone are the days of just looking at the raw numbers. Well, did a larger proportion of that race commit crime? That question's not asked. And uh, so they're trying to get almost to a, uh, what's the word that I'm, it's escaped me now, where the the practice they use to expand college to different different races and ethnic backgrounds. You're talking about uh, affirmative action and hiring yeah. quotas? They're almost quotas. looking to re- use affirmative action in a negative application here to, uh, to talk about who can and can't be in prison, what the prison population has to look like, so on and so forth. This is all sounds like leftist jargon, and that's why it doesn't even make sense when we say it. 
it shouldn't make sense. It's not logical. It's just what they're doing. Yeah, it's the thing. It's the percent. It's representation and equivalence, right? So, like right. on the Supreme Court, if you have five of the nine are hardcore leftists, that's okay because that's an overrepresentation of leftists on the panel. But if you have too many blacks or Hispanics in prison, then we gotta we gotta shuffle it up and let some people right. out. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's uh, it's an unfortunate, and again, I would say it's evil and opportunistic for people who are hardcore politicians that care less about you and I than they do about their own personal agenda. The last question I have is about presidential candidates. I actually think that at our Breitbart meetup, the, the guy who warmed up the crowd should have done some Trump cruise back and forth and got some debate going, but it might have ended in a fist fight. So maybe that's why right. it didn't happen. But I want you to tell me about the gun positions of those running for president, of the final four candidates running for president outside of Kasich. Well, yeah, outside of Kasich. Thank you for saying that. Uh, well, uh, it's easiest to start with Hillary Clinton. She's a, she is a, uh, more full on gun control than anyone ever in my memory. I mean, she wants uh, to open up gun manufacturers to lawsuits from crime victims. She wants to open up gun stores to uh, lawsuits from crime victims. Uh, and the thing about that that you have to think about is in order to buy a gun from a gun store, I have to go through a background check conducted by our government overseen by the FBI. So if anyone is liable for misuse of the weapon, it should be the outlet that does the background check. Well, in this case, it's the government. But instead of letting the government take the fall, they want to sue the gun stores. So uh, anyway, it's crazy. So if, if a gun manufacturer makes a gun legally, sells it legally, a gun store sells it legally, they all go through the background check as required. If it's misused down the road, there should be a lawsuit. She also wants to... Which, uh, by the way, I'm all for that, because that means if the government lets in an illegal immigrant and they kill someone, then a whole bunch of representatives in that state and federal representatives have to lose their job if they right. want to apply it equally. If they want to apply it or equally, be prosecuted. they're not going to. But she also wants, of course, expanded background checks, the same things we have in California, Colorado, Washington State, and we see them in Paris, France. They don't work. That's where everyone's getting killed. Expanded background checks don't work. Uh, she wants to close the Charleston loophole. I should say Charleston loophole because it's non-existent. Uh, she wants to do all kinds of things. So Hillary Clinton is the anti-Second Amendment candidate. Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders is a pro-gun control candidate who, who this is very hard to say, people are going to think I'm nuts. He still has a little bit of respect for the Second Amendment, and he has to have or he won't be able to stay elected in Vermont. Uh, he is against lawsuits against gun makers. He's against lawsuits against uh, gun store owners. He is for an assault weapons ban. That is a silly position. Uh, it's a dumb position. It's a stupid position. They have an assault weapons ban in Chicago. Tell me what that does. So uh, assault weapons ban is a feel-good ban that accomplishes nothing. But that's Sanders. When you look at Cruz and Trump, both extremely pro-gun. I don't know if we can actually show one to be more pro-gun than the other. They they have differences. Cruz is, uh, I like, Cruz is a constitutionalist. He speaks in the language of the Constitution. Trump speaks in the language of the common man. That's not a criticism of either. That's just saying that's the difference. But if you speak to Cruz, Cruz will talk to you about the inalienable right to keep and bear arms and how he would never do anything to infringe on that and how the right to keep and bear arms applies not simply when you're in your home, but when you're on a college campus, when you're on a school campus, the teachers should be armed, 
And so those things would be pushed under Cruz. Under Trump, on September 18th last year, I did a paper on his uh, firearm policy position. Golly, this what I'm going to say, I didn't expect to hear anyone say in this election cycle. But Trump said that concealed carry is not a privilege, but a right. Now that tells you how deep his understanding is. That I don't, I don't carry a gun for self-defense because I have a privilege given me by the government. I carry a gun for self-defense because I have a right given me by my creator. So said Thomas Jefferson. So when you think about it that way, it's easy to understand the rest of Trump's positions. Trump thinks there should be national reciprocity. If I have a concealed carry permit in Arizona, that permit should be recognized in every state the same way my driver's license is. Trump said gun owners shouldn't have to stop at the border of a state to figure out, well, what's the new law? How, how do I have to carry my gun in this new state? And so, you know, you have Trump and Cruz neck and neck on the pro-gun issue. So that's the the reciprocity is a whole other debate where the leftists apply it inconsistently. It doesn't works for gay marriage, doesn't work for health care, works for abortion, doesn't work for gun laws. And I actually think the gay marriage is going to come back and bite them as, as far as the gun law goes. I know that's what you're saying, but yeah. yeah. The 14th Amendment, the, when they appeal to the 14th Amendment in gay marriage, I believe they undercut themselves tremendously on guns because the Supreme Court in 2010 had already ruled that the 14th Amendment incorporates the Second Amendment. So... Anyway, they opened the door on themselves there. That's the one downside of not arguing on principle. But what are you going right. to do? Right. Well, AWR, it's been a real pleasure. I have a question. Talked about protecting your property. Do you and your wife have kids? Uh, no. Okay. All right. Um, it's too bad. You're, you're you, your lovely wife. You're watching them play volleyball. I hope people will get to know you better. Hope they'll go on Breitbart and check out your pieces. You write, it seems like, almost every single day. And for people who are fans of the Second Amendment and champions of gun laws, I think they're missing out if they're not uh, staying in touch with you. So where can they find you if they haven't already? Uh, well, they can find me on Twitter at AWR Hawkins. They can find me on Facebook at AWR Hawkins. Or they can Google AWR Hawkins, you know, plus sign Breitbart. Uh, but that's the the beauty of that of uh, of that awkward name that my parents gave me that I used to be embarrassed about. I slowly found out, wow, if people Google it, they're not going to find another one. I'm the only one. So if you know, but on Twitter, on Facebook, everything is AWR Hawkins. So find me and follow me, and I'd love to uh, love to message with you, talk about guns if you have questions. If you're getting concealed carry, you're buying your first gun, whatever. Let's talk. Thank you for doing your part, your gentleman, and I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, TJ. Great to be with you. You're listening to the absolute unadulterated truth, courtesy of the Oh, Hail Yeah Show. Want more? Oh, Hail yeah, you do. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the Young Cons podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And make sure to check us out online at youngcons.com slash podcast. Or chat us up on Twitter at RealTJHale.